If you like Area 45, you're going to enjoy the Hoover Institution's other podcasts, Uncommon Knowledge, The Classicist with Victor Davis Hanson, and The Libertarian with Richard Epstein. Subscribe now to the Hoover Podcast at hoover.org slash podcasts. That's hoover.org slash podcasts. Hoover Podcast, ideas defining a free society. Hello, it's Friday, April the 19th, and welcome to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast examining the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. I'm Bill Whalen, the Hoover Institution's Virginia Hobbs Carpenter Fellow. Our guest today in Hoover's recording studio on the campus of Stanford University is Barton Swaim. Barton Swaim writes a politics book column for the Wall Street Journal. Prior to joining the journal, he wrote for the dearly departed Weekly Standard, one of my favorite magazines, and it crushes me that it's no longer around. So I hope you enjoyed writing for it as much as I enjoyed reading it, Barton. I did. Let's start this conversation with a little American history and something that happened 10 years ago this summer, and that was in your native South Carolina, and that happened to occur to the sitting governor at the time, Mark Sanford. Why don't you walk us through, well, first of all, tell us what you were doing in the summer of 2009 in Columbia, South Carolina, and then let's talk about what happened to Governor Sanford. Okay, Bill. Uh, the summer of 2009 was, uh, um, well, let, let's back up to the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, in April uh, and and May was the beginning of the Tea Party, mm-hmm. and this weird sort of uh, uh, unpredictable, um, multifaceted uh, populist movement was springing up all over the place. No one knew what it meant, but uh, one one uh, overall uh, interest in Tea Party Tea Partiers was. Um, uh, a, a, a fear that the United States was uh, going more heavily into debt than it should. Right. Um, <clears throat> uh, what with uh, new, the stimulus, economic stimulus was big at that time. There was talk of uh, some kind of nationalization of the health care or health insurance industry and so on. Uh, banks, the auto industry, bailouts and so on. And... Uh, uh, the governor of South Carolina at that time, Mark Sanford, was uh, well known as somebody who had been warning about the problems of debt mm-hmm. and deficit spending for a long time. It was his issue. He cared about it very much. He was articulate on it. And so um, as this new uh, new administration um, was, was getting... Um, uh, in all kinds of controversies about spending, um, Sanford would be invited on uh, cable talk shows and so on, and he was becoming quite a spokesman for uh, for the Republican Party. And people are mentioning him as a presidential right. candidate, of course, right. and so on. Two thousand nine, so the Republican path is pretty right. wide open. Right, right. Um, and I th- it, he was sort of on 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 top of the world in in some respects for a for a. Uh, Republican candidate. Yeah, yeah, he fit the, uh, he fit the mold. Look, a Southern mm-hmm. governor. Yeah, uh, yep. guy talking tough on fiscal affairs, mm-hmm. and you know, pretty pretty strong looking executive. Yeah, that's uh, that's you know, that's central casting for Republicans. R- right. Um, you know, a good looking guy with a with a beautiful family. Right. Um, you know, a, a a record as governor that people would would uh, question, um, and yet. Um, no major debacles or anything of that sort. Right. And um, then uh, in in um, so 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 that's the no you're right that's the summer and then um, in in April I think it was um, he disappeared. Right. Um, literally. Um, and uh, I'm I'm finding younger colleagues these days who don't remember this, uh, which is amazing. But um, well, let's clarify. You're in the governor's office. You're mm-hmm. you're his speechwriter. Speechwriter. Chief speechwriter. Yep. Uh, chief as they came. <laughs> <laughs> chief of one man staffer. <laughs> yeah, there are two or three of us, and okay, I've probably been there longest. You're in the center uh, of the. You're in the center of the arena. So uh-huh. so he literally disappeared. Uh, the media didn't know where he was. Right. Um, we didn't know where he was, right. and so uh, day after day, um, to the point at which it was the you know, the top of all the, the news cycles, mm-hmm. where is the governor of South Carolina? And on uh, uh, sometime in l- late April, he reemerged um, to confess an extramarital affair 
with a woman in uh, Argentina, right? Which was bizarre beyond belief, um, and uh, deeply disappointing to me for a number of reasons. Although I did not like him personally, because you couldn't if you worked for him. Um, he never he never struck me as one of those kind of of politicians, you know. The, the guy, flirt, the, the yeah. guy who could just compartmentalize his behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he he uh, he always seemed, at least outwardly, uh, close with his family, mm-hmm. and wasn't the flirty kind or the kind that you expected to get involved in something like this. So, um, from from all the way at the top to all the way at the bottom, um, right. complete joke. One nice thing was that. Um, there was no work for me to do after that because he, as a speechwriter, he wasn't going to give any speeches after that. It was just a matter of of survival, right. um, which he managed to do. He managed to serve all the way to the end of uh, his, his second term. Right. Uh, and out of that uh, uh, scandal, out of that affair, came a phrase, hiking the Appalachian Trail. Yes. Our, uh, the, the Sanford administration's great contribution to, uh, to uh, American slang um, a euphemism for carrying on an extramarital affair. Right. So you went on to write a book about your speech writing experience. Yes. And what was the point of the book? It was, I subtitled it A Brief Education in Politics, and it was um, a, a um, retelling of how I got into the field of politics, what I learned, just to give the reader some kind of perspective on what it's actually like to be in politics. Um, it's not the West Wing. Certainly, that wasn't my experience. Um, <clears throat> it wasn't even Veep. <laughs> yeah. uh, it was um, for me. It was it was a grueling job because he was a certain kind of boss. Um, there's a certain kind of of person whose leadership style consists in berating and humiliating people so that they won't do that thing of which you disapprove again. It's pretty effective yes. <laughs> in the short term. Um, and there were a lot of just, being a speechwriter is, 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 is weird. Um, it's inherently kind of ridiculous to be writing words for somebody else. Um, any speechwriter will just kind of know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a bizarre sort of position to be in all the time and trying to develop a knack for imitating someone else as your job. Right. And um, it struck me as funny all the time. I mean, I hated the job in some ways, but it was funny. When I would, t- I would go home and tell my wife these stories, and she would be laughing uncontrollably. And I thought, I have to put this in a book somehow. I uh, wrote speeches for California Governor Barton. And, Pete Wilson, uh, right? Pete Wilson, yes. yes. And uh, the challenge of Pete Wilson was he uh, did not berate you, um, but he was an English major for BL with a very extensive vocabulary. And would love to put words in speeches that didn't necessarily make for good sound bites. And so you'd sometimes have to politely wrestle saying, well, that's a great word, Governor, but nobody knows what the heck it is. <laughs> uh, he also was somebody who would thrive on three or four hours of sleep. And this is back in the dark ages before you could just do stuff over the Internet. So we'd be faxing stuff in the dead of the night. So <clears throat> be sleep deprived. And he also had a lovely habit of going off message and just kind of speaking on something for 10 minutes and just getting lost in the speech. Uh, so I tell people that you write speeches because you have an ego and your ego wants to prove that you can write applause lines and you can write jokes and mm-hmm. you can you mm-hmm. win over an audience. You also write speeches because you are kind of a masochist. <laughs> and you, you want to write something very clever and give it to somebody and have that person get all the credit for it. It's yes. been one of the interesting shifts in speech writing since mm-hmm. Peggy Newton because Peggy Newton kind of broke the code, the omerta. She, she became famous being a yes. speechwriter. That's right. Yeah. In mm-hmm. fact, you were just talking to a very speech, famous speechwriter shortly ago, Peter Robinson, who's a good mm-hmm. example of this. Peter, gosh knows how much money and how many free meals Peter Robinson could have collected over the years off of one speech, the Berlin Wall speech. But he's been very classy about mo- not monetizing that. <laughs> That's right. That's right. So you obviously yeah. must love to write and you must love to read because you do a column on politics and books. Mm-hmm. What are you reading these days? Well, uh, I, th- I guess it was two and a half, three years ago, um, I suggested... Uh, to my then editor, the editor of the Wall Street Journal book section at that time, uh, a column on political books because the the book industry, um, in in the industry, political books are a huge part of it. Um, 
to thousands and thousands uh, each year, but they don't get a lot of coverage um, for a variety of reasons. And I thought it'd be interesting to take that on in a column. Uh, I've sometimes regretted suggesting that because a lot of the books are just not good. Um, Does this mean you're on the hook to read every candidate's book? Candidate books are it's are something you want to avoid if you can. <laughs> there there are there are a few reasons why why a politician would would write a book at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, one would be to um, promote his or her name, right. you know, um, be known as some kind of public intellectual of some right. kind. Um, those are usually not good by American politicians. British politicians seem to do it fairly well, I think. I, I'm not sure why that is, and I don't cede um, quality to the British very easily, but British politicians write good books. Uh, another reason would be because you're, you're going to run for president. Uh, or some some kind of office, and it's kind you of need a pro forma step yeah. in the process. So yeah. kind of run it better, put a book out. And that that second category really generates some loathsome books because they don't have anything to say. You know, you you write a book because you have this idea and you want you want to express it. Right. Well, but in this case, the idea is, I am really great and would be a great president. That's not a good reason for a book, and that's why these books are so awful sometimes. Right. Now, you can go down one path, Bart, and you can do the Mitt Romney path, which he did before 2012, where he did a policy book. Mm-hmm. Very straightforward, mm-hmm. but very bone-dry policy book. Yeah. Or you can do what, say, Kamala Harris just did earlier this year, where she did a bio-slash-policy book, not to drill her too hard. She is my senator afterwards, but um, I found her book very lacking for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's just it's not a very good read, but secondly, it's a very kind of sanitized version of her life. There are some yes. events in her life that she purposely keeps out of it. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, I found the, the same thing to be true. Yep. Yeah. Um, and and sanitization is is a, is a good word for it. A right. lot of these books, uh, you know, in any any autobiography, mm-hmm. any memoir, is is going to emphasize what the author wants right. and ignore what he or she doesn't. Um, but but books by politicians who who have um, elections foremost in mind are um, offensive in this regard. Well, there's a question of why are you writing the book? Are you writing the book because you want people to genuinely read about who you are and what you believe in? Or are you writing the book just because I need an excuse to go out around the country for a couple weeks and And, show up and and talk? Do a, quote, book signing. And that's that's really what Kamala Harris's book is all about. And other candidates are guilty of this too. But you've been reading books in this cycle. What, What is there worth reading in this particular cycle right now? Um, If you had to direct the interested voter in one or two directions, where would you send them? What would you have them read right now? The books that I've most enjoyed have, uh, in in the political realm, have had the least to do with uh, current electoral politics or even current politics at all. Um, They're on sort of narrow, um, narrow ideas or... Um, you, you know, cohesive um, subjects of some, one kind or another. There is a there is an excellent little book on um, Clarence Thomas at the moment, if I'm not mistaken. It's by Encounter, um, and <clears throat> there is uh, there are several books actually right now on on, on Supreme Court justices, uh, some better than others, and there was a. Uh, we're we're sitting here in in uh, Palo Alto. There was a book called Cult City about San Francisco in the in the in the 1970s on okay. Jim Jones and and uh, Harvey Milk. Right. I found this book fascinating huh. um, because the, um, the a lot of the pathologies of of sort of left wing um, ideologies uh, were were very much in evidence in right. in in what was going on there in the late 70s um but that has nothing to do with with you know 2020 or candidate pre- i've actually so i've actually found myself going back and reading theodore white mm, yes uh for two reasons number one his books are just exhaustive uh mm. in terms of he, his covering a campaign 
uh, for those who are not familiar, Theodore Wright wrote the Making of the President series of elections, 60, 64, mm-hmm. 68. And uh, so he's exhausted, but secondly, it's the kind of book that's not written anymore. And uh, I'd like you to talk about this for a minute. You have candidates writing books at the beginning of the process, and then at the end of the process, we get the autopsy, the postmortem, oh. the reflected. And you're already shaking your head in disgust here, <laughs> but, I mean, but I mean, here's what's said about these books. I find Barton, and tell me if you agree. Uh, it's the formula in which they're written. Mm-hmm. It's not just explaining why an election happened, why Donald Trump won, why Hillary Clinton lost. There has to be a lot of salacious stuff put into it. Why? Because you've got to go out there and tease it to death. And so there have got to be three or four snippets, at least, on somebody hates somebody. Somebody flipped out. Somebody melted down. And I was adding sort of this bad daytime soap opera element to politics. Oh, yeah. They're they're loathsome. Uh, There was, I I think the... um, the one that really set the tone was the one called Game Change, I think, yes. a few years ago. That was after the 08 election with Sarah uh-huh. Palin. And, it became an and HBO was, movie. There was, one, there was one passage in particular that they that, that sort of made the rounds even before the book came out in which John McCain became angry about something and said the F word about 12 times in a row. Right. Just, just the F word. Right. And this was interesting because I'm not sure. Um, but... Uh, what I, what I don't like about those books in particular is that the the people who write them were wrong about a hundred thousand different things when mm-hmm. they were talking heads throughout the campaign. You know, this is going to happen next week. We need to watch for this. And you know, if you go back and watch these sort of talking heads episodes, in which pundits are guessing what's going to happen next. Right. It's comical how right. wrong they were. None of which happened in 2016, and none of which happened with the Mueller report. <laughs> no. and, and and yet, you know, we hire these people next week too to say the same thing. Right. Um, but in the in the sort of autopsy book, everything is told, you know, with with the with the advantage of having with with knowing who won the election. So right. it's all told with this sort of inevitability, as if the authors knew it the whole time. You mm-hmm. know. Um, when in fact they were wrong about everything throughout the process. Right. So it, it's, these books are, I, I don't want to get too negative about No. Do you intend to read <laughs> Valerie Jarrett's book? Uh, not if I can avoid it. <laughs> Unless you're assigned it. If my, if my editors make me do it, I'll do it. Well, that's a curious book because it's not selling on Amazon, but somehow it's climbed the ranks of the New York Times bestseller list. Mm. So I'm not sure how... How those two work necessarily, but people aren't buying it. But somehow it's been popularly received. So I, that I'm is, a little confused. That's worth that's worth finding out about. That's that's very interesting. It's an interesting thing. Did you read the book What It Takes by Richard Ben Creamer? I did not. Okay, I would go back and look at that if I were you. That's a book on the 1988 campaign, and it's actually kind of the primary process. And um, the late Richard Ben Kramer is a beautiful writer, and he goes from candidate to candidate and just does a chapter on each one explaining their campaign in a nutshell. And he just has wonderful eyes for detail. And he One, for example, there's an episode where he's with uh, Alexander Haig, <clears throat> who's running for president, and Haig has to film a commercial with his wife in their mansion in McLean, and it's just painful to watch this, but he so vividly writes about it that you literally feel like you're in the room. But I raise that because that's an example of really kind of beautiful literature brought into the political mm-hmm. world, but I'm not sure it's being done in the way of beautiful literature these days. Speaking of which, I saw an article in Political the other, Politico the other day, Barton. Donald Trump is apparently good for the book industry. There well, are reporters left to dry in Washington writing books about Trump or things Trump-related like Kavanaugh. And half of them say the same thing. Right. Um, do, we, do we need... My editors uh, in, at the Journal have a... Have a a sort of running joke. They send me, um, it, if there's a press release or a link or something, to the to the next book in inside account of what it's really like in the <laughs> Trump White House. Um, do we need another one of those? I'm not sure. Um, each one of them say basically the same thing. Um, in some respects, this is the most transparent White House in history, although we wish it weren't so transparent. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, Trump has been great for the book industry on the on the left in particular, I think. Right. Um, the number of books that I have either read or thumbed through that are panic-filled and um, predictive of the end of democracy um, 
I mean, there, there, I feel there are two or three a month that come out. Academic books, all, all kinds. It's, it's remarkable. And they, anytime you have a book with democracy in the title or subtitle, that's probably one of those. Right. But it's I right. also, if you talk to authors, though, they'll tell you their publishers want them to put the word Trump in the title. Yes. Why? Yes. Very simply, you go to Amazon, you search for Trump. That pops the book. <laughs> colleague Victor Davis Hanson wrote a book not too long ago, Trump is in the Headline. I imagine it's, it's in the headline for that reason. It helps right. push the book. But tell me how your job works. How do you decide what to write on, and do you tell me how many books you take a pass on? Do you? I have this image of a mountain of books on your desk, and do you have to sit there and decide what to go with? Do you sit down with your editors and discuss what to write? Do you get do you get pressure from the outside world to write in terms of politicians calling you or publishers mm-hmm. or a little bit of all of that? Mm-hmm. It's true. I do have piles and piles of books. My editors in in New York send me a box a week. We get a box, and my children are all excited to find out what's in the box, and they see it's addressed to me from New York, and they say, "Oh, it's books. just a bunch of okay. stupid books." <laughs> um, so yeah, there are piles everywhere, and I have a little leeway. Um, it's it's um, the trick for the column is to find a a a pattern somewhere mm-hmm. or a or a cluster of of books about the same subject. I did one as you mentioned on on candidate books. There was another on uh, Supreme Court things, but it, it's tough to find to find books in those kinds of patterns. But it's a lot of fun too, and there's a lot of a lot of um, I get pitched a lot. You know, 30 emails a day from <clears throat> uh, PR people or 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 the authors themselves, and I'd like to. The way I'd usually like to answer these kinds of queries is: Is your go- is your book good? Right. Because <laughs> if it's bad, I don't want to review it. So what's a good pitch? Um, I don't know if there is one. The I can imagine a bad pitch, which yeah. is you must read this because this is the greatest political book ever written, and this is person's going to be in the next president of the United States, right. and you don't want to yeah, you don't miss being on the, the bandwagon. The most insightful book in a generation. Exactly. Uh, a good pitch, first of all, would involve not um, having uh, Dear Barton in a different font from the rest of the email. <laughs> Dear blank. <laughs> <laughs> Your letter particularly um, moved me. You know, let's 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 just. Start with the basics here. Um, <laughs> don't cut and paste. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> don't be don't yeah. BCC you on a chain of a hundred people. Yes. Okay. Um, I always I have a I have a good friend who's in who's in the PR business and he mm-hmm. does pitch books like this, and and I tell him what works for me and he's not always convinced I'm right because of the answers he gets, but I find the ones that I'm inclined to pay attention to mm-hmm. are the are the emails that are extremely brief and almost I won't say poorly written but they don't look over you know overly written um, they, they could have um, they could be in all lowercase so that it looks like it was just to me you're looking for something authentic yes yeah, yeah. The, the person had me in mind mm-hmm. and said this guy's written about this mm-hmm. so I'm gonna put him see if he wants to review this book mm-hmm. I'm inclined to pay attention to him but hardly anyone does that right Okay. Um, now you have books in front of you. You now have to decide what the Wall Street Journal reader wants to read, what the Wall Street Journal wants to see reviewed. Mm-hmm. So what mm-hmm. does a Wall Street Journal reader want to see? I think a lot about the average journal reader. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of things you could say about that audience. Um, but by and large, um, whether I'm right or wrong, I don't know. But I think of somebody who doesn't have a lot of time right. to, you know, make uh, I don't want to be unkind here, but probably not an academic. Mm-hmm. Um, probably somebody who works in the private sector and who works long hours mm-hmm. and who has a little bit of time to read on the weekends right. um, and wants probably wants to read something on history, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, war making, or if it's politics, then something that is... is uh, not extremely lengthy, right? Um, not uh, exhaustive to the point of exhaustion, right? Um, and something uh, a book that gets to its point quickly, and and makes the point and then gets out. Right. Because that's um, the the journal reader, you know, like the the editorial page, the editorials, let's say, which are very popular among the readers. 
Um, they're not long. Right. They're, they're not uh, intricate. They generally don't have graphs and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but somebody without a lot of time needs to know what does an intelligent person think about this topic today? Right. Uh, and then move on. Are you looking for books that are original? In other words, something the reader will not know something about? Or are you looking for value add? Mostly value added, mm -hmm. I think. At least I'm told on social media it's, uh, it's a lot easier. The, the popular things uh, for our readers are original takes on a topic that everybody knows about or thinks they know about. Mm -hmm. uh, rather than, although I tend to like, you know, like the Cult City book, something that's bizarre and it's just right. more fun for me. But You mentioned the candidates' books. Um, how many have you read? Uh, maybe 10 or 12. 10 or 12. Yeah. Um, does one stick out? Does one shine? I'm not going to ask you. I'm not going to ask you to run them down. Let's let's be nice here and let's say, okay, somebody did it well. Somebody got it right. Yes, right. There are some that started out well and they just they just fell apart. Uh -huh. That's often the case, and and you're rooting for them. You know, even if for me, even if it's a left wing guy mm -hmm. or gal, I've, I'm rooting. I want to see a good book. Right. Um, I need something positive to write about here. The guy who's mayor of 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 Pete Buttigieg. No. No. Um, he hasn't, this guy hasn't gotten in, but everybody thought he was going to. Uh, the mayor of New Orleans. Oh, Mitch, uh, Mitch Landrew. Yeah, yeah, Landrew. Mm -hmm. His book started out well, mm -hmm. um, and he, he seemed like an interesting guy. Um, but it turned into a, 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 a sort of celebration of, of his own righteousness, unfortunately. Um, the Buttigieg book was, also had its, had its good points he wants very much to be liked yes and for people to think of him as an intelligent capable guy and that's yes. very very clear in the book right. every page says please think well of me which is i that that what about today's politics would make you think that that's what people really want is somebody to who needs to be liked i'm not sure but let's talk about that book for a second so that's an interesting topic because there are different paths he could have gone down he could have written a real self-examination book about himself, uh, in particular his sexuality. Mm -hmm. He could have written kind of a political book about what it is to be very blue in a very red part of America. He could have done the policy prescription for America, but what does he ultimately do in his book? He, he's, um, he's cl clearly a calculating person. Yes. And uh, it's just not surprising. I mean, he's a... He's a politician and a, an aspiring uh, presidential candidate. To my mind, he's, he just overthought it and um, is thinking, okay, I'm going to be... Uh, I think he tried to do all the things that you mentioned mm -hmm. as a, almost like a consultant. He's his own consultant telling right. him, these are, the, these are the topics that you need to cover. You know, you need to be the, the red state... Um, uh, can-do governor with a blue state mentality. Uh, you you need to cover the military thing, but you're also gay. You know, mm -hmm. there was so much. Um, you got the feeling that he wanted to be the guy who was the perfect candidate in every respect. Right. Which there was there was a deep inauthenticity about it. To to my mind, I, I, others may feel differently. If I'd consulted him for what the what it's worth, I would have stuck with the biography. Yeah, because you look at Barack Obama. Yeah, Barack Obama did two books that were biographically based: mm -hmm. one on his father, one on himself. Mm -hmm. And but he also wrote a policy book on top of that. But nobody remembers the policy book, but no. they surely bought into the bio. Yes, and that's the same with Buttigieg. You're not going to really buy into Pete Buttigieg based on any one single idea he has. But if you're a Democrat looking to vote for him in that primary, Barton, it's it's a feel good vote based on who he is. The 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 um, the parallel with 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 the Obama books is is instructive. The the first one that he wrote, uh, Dreams of My Father, um, was a book. Now at that, I don't forget what year that would have been. Um, oh, I think it was oh four. I think it was oh four, maybe oh five. Okay. So he he does a convention in oh four. Then he does mm -hmm. maybe the book before that. After I, it's all fuzzy. Yeah, so he's running yeah. for the Senate at the same right. time. It all just now happens at once. Let's say let's say Obama. I, let's just concede that he probably wanted to be president at that time in his life. Yeah. But the book wasn't a book that was primarily about a campaign. Oh. 
you know, he wasn't saying, I'm running right now. It was just a, a book, and there was, and it was a good book. It was readable, engaging, um, kind of subtle, uh, understated, funny. Right. Um, but by the time he writes the candidate book, uh, which right. was called... Oh, the, the Audacity of Hope. Audacity of Hope. Right. Oh, that book was just... Um, well, now we're getting into kind of Messiah Complex territory, which is the problem. But um, yeah. Obama's worth pointing out because I, I wish more candidates would do this. Maybe they can't because they just don't have that interesting of a story to tell at the end mm. of the day. And I think this is part of the problem of Kamala Harris's book, that yeah. in theory she should be an interesting candidate. She's from California. She is of both Jamaican and Asian Indian ancestry. She's a woman. She's in the Senate. She must have a lot of interesting stories to tell. But the life is not really full of that many dramatic moments, it seems. Mm -hmm. um, whereas with Obama, he has a really interesting narrative to tell you, which is that I never really knew my father. Yes. So I'm going back and now trying to find out about my father. Right. That's, right. I'm in on that. That's an yeah. interesting hook. <laughs> I just because, wish, yeah, I just wish more candidates would just try to sell you more on who they are rather than what they want you to think they are. I get the sense that a lot of, a lot of candidates who, who write books, they don't really know what a book is. Right. Um, or, or what a book is designed to do. It's right. not actually a, a campaign speech right. or a tract. It's right. a book, and it needs to tell a story or, 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 or advance an idea of some kind. And it makes me think they don't read books that much. Well, I'm going to suggest something very cynical now, uh, and I hope the audience doesn't castigate me for this, but Joe Biden comes to mind. Joe mm -hmm. Biden wrote a book in 2017 about his son, yes. about cancer. Um, if I'm Joe Biden, I'm looking to run for president in 2020, I would think about writing that book. And again, this is why this is cynical mm -hmm. uh, and maybe shame on me for suggesting this. But I would think about rolling out that book maybe closer to my candidacy. Why? Because this is a very good way of introducing myself to the American people in a very personable way. Rather than putting out a bone-dry book this summer with, you know, five things we need to do on infrastructure and health care and so forth, Biden could have talked about what he has gone through in his life, which is mm -hmm. a heck of a story, mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than just make himself another Democrat trying to do things with government. So I, I'm curious as to why he did it then and didn't wait until later. But maybe he wasn't thinking about the presidency in 2017. I don't know. But I just, again, I wish Barton more candidates would just think about offering up their life stories. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Cory Booker's a good example of this. Mm. Um, but boy, Cory Booker's running a very complicated campaign, I yeah. think, but he can't. But again, there's an interesting story to tell, playing football at Stanford, running the city of Newark and all that. But yet, for some reason, he's just not quite gone down the pure biopath with you. Yeah. Him. Do, do, do um, candidate books help at all? Do they do anything? I was about to ask you that yeah, question, I, but I, I don't think they do. Look, I think I think they give a candidate a ready-made excuse to go on TV and to go around the country and do an event and do a book signing and say, mm -hmm. "Hey, it's great to be in Des Moines. Here's yeah. my book." But I'm right. here. Uh, in terms of really changing their mind about you, that's why I think the Biden cancer book would have been interesting, or the Obama yes. book I think was helpful. I think the Obama book was yes, very important to him. It just kind of created the cult of Obama early mm -hmm. on mm -hmm. uh, in that regard. Donald Trump. Mm. Donald Trump was helped a lot by books. True. Yeah, had true. bestsellers, true. but of course he had a lot of time on TV and all that. But maybe Trump's an exception here. He's a unicorn because if you know when he ran and he did do a policy book in 2016. That's right. It is dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Not much effort was put into it, and it's clear. But right. then again, that guy didn't need a book, did he? Right. The the one interesting thing about Trump's books is that from what I've been able to tell, they're all in the same style. You know, he clearly dictates. Um, they're they're and, ghosted by different, they're co-written or ghosted by different yeah. people, but it's the same formula yeah, is what you're saying. It, yeah, it's, it's um, exactly, it's yeah. by different people, but you can, it ha each one has that same sort of voice that you are kind of familiar with right. uh, as, as being the Donalds. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's not a very persuasive um, way to write to me, but it's consistent with who he is, and that's really important. Mm -hmm. Not it. It seems like a genuine expression of who, of the guy, rather than uh, you know a a um, consultant-driven, uh, uh, over-edited, um, you know, expunged, yes, um, version of himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you read memoirs? Yes, I love them. Okay, best political memoir. Political memoir. Let's do recent. I. Grant, to me, always stands out as a great memoir. Yes, uh, yes. 
It's yes. it's beautifully written. The man is dying as he writes it. It's a lot of drama to it. It's really a remarkable uh-huh. production. You know, here's an unpopular opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a fan of Richard Nixon's memoir. Um, why, you, why so? Um, because it was after he had destroyed himself. Well, actually, which Nixon book are you uh, referring I, to? I, I think this one is R.N. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, this is the, the sort of post-presidential okay. memoir, after Watergate, after everything. Um, there's a, there's a, there are moments of, of uh, searing, or at least, I don't know, I want to overstate it, but there are moments of genuine uh, self-reflection and self-criticism that you don't often find in 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 presidential or political memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, in his case, he was such a calculating person and uh, such a a, um, a, a a private scheming person and yes. paranoid. Yes. That, but the experience of Watergate made it just un. There was no point in doing that. Mm-hmm. at that point in his life and it's it's very touching to me now the book is very long it's too long but um but i like it speaking of books that i guessing will be on the long side when is the obama book coming out Ooh. yeah that will be long <laughs> yeah uh well, michelle's is already out have you read hers nope nope no interest uh there's an interest there um i was i actually uh i i avoided it i i avoided writing about it just because she's a very popular uh, figure, and uh, I was assuming that her book was not going to be something I liked, and I just didn't want to be in a position of 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 uh, criticizing uh, or feeling uh, right. pressure to praise um, a, a bad book that most people liked. So I'm on an airplane flying across the country tomorrow, Bart, and I downloaded Susan Page's book for my flight. This is the Barbara Bush biography. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a column on this. This book interests me. Interests me for one reason. She agreed to it. Mm. A lot of books are written about politicians that they do not agree to. And maybe they give a little help to. A good example, if, I don't know if you read the book on Sandy Koufax by uh, Jane Levy. Mm-mm. It's a fascinating book. She, it's, mm. She's a wonderful writer. She wrote a book on Mickey Mantle, too, if you're a baseball fan, by both of those, Koufax and Mantle. Uh, Sandy Koufax is... Not not a recluse in the J.D. Salinger way, but he's a man who doesn't like to talk to the media, and he surely hates when people come sniffing around to interview him and talk to him. So she writes in part about trying to crack the code of Sandy Koufax, mm-hmm. and it's trying to get his attention and then trying to get his friend's attention because Koufax, Joe DiMaggio was this way. He has a small circle of friends, and so it's about earning the trust of the people and then kind of gleaning about Sandy Koufax. And then as it goes along and he kind of realizes that she's writing a fair book about me so I'm going to give her some more help so some more people become available the Barbara Bush book is that way and that she let her inner circle talk to Susan Page but then the great lady herself sits down for six interviews yes. with, or five they're going to do with six but she got too sick five interviews and then she gives her literally the keys to the kingdom she gives her her diaries she would be keeping since 1948 so that's a fascinating book Barton because Barbara Bush clearly wanted people to know that she had a lot in her mind. Yes. Uh, I find it fascinating because she has this, you know, almost pristine reputation as, you know, you know, great sense of humor, self-deprecating, fake pearls, ha, 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 so forth. Mm-hmm. But she clearly had issues beneath the surface. I, I find it curious because on the one hand, it's great from a historical standpoint that we know more about her. On the other hand, if I'm in the family... Maybe yes. I'm not happy about my mom, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, all this being revealed about her. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. book just stands out because this is a surprise yes. about somebody. And not too many books seem to reveal a lot of surprises about no. people. No, right? no, that's Which true. Which gets us back to the Obama book. What is he going to tell us that he hasn't already told us in a lot of long speeches? Well, this is the, this is the great paradox, isn't it, of, of the, the modern president. And I, guess, the, and I guess you're going to have to review it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, on on the one hand, the modern president is is uh, is speaking every day, right? Multiple times is, right. is expected to have a view on everything, and um, if it's not if it's not he actually speaking, then it's you know one of his 
uh, spokespersons uh, constantly uttering verbiage, right. you know, um, constant attention on this person's life, this person's background, and so on. But the but he is so surrounded by um, spokesmen and uh, consultants and operatives and uh, and people who are speaking for him mm-hmm. that you never really get a sense that you have the slightest clue who he is. Right. Um, it's sort it's sort of a, a vacuum. Um, and does a can a can a can a president write a book that is genuinely self-revelatory? Uh, it's a it's a challenge. I thought I thought George W. Bush's was a success, mm-hmm. um, even for people who didn't like him. Right. Um, but uh, what what on earth? I, I, somehow I just doubt that Obama can can reveal much that we don't haven't already been told. He's probably just not going to let you in. You know, it's when the Mueller report comes out, one of the most interesting snippets of the Mueller report to me is Trump's reaction when he finds out that there's a council, which yeah. is, I'm effed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's what makes for an interesting read. Mm-hmm. But I just have a feeling the former president's not going to be that candid, is he? Right. You wrote a column not too long ago in which you quoted the 94th Psalm, hmm. part of which reads, The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man that they are vanity. And you were talking about Twitter. <laughs> Which you're not a fan of. You're no longer on Twitter, are you? I'm not. You quit the habit. I did. You went cold I did. turkey. And, and there's there's a popular um, trend out there among people who are on Twitter to speak badly of Twitter, hmm. um, but never to leave it. Is it a hashtag <laughs> campaign or quit Twitter <laughs> um, or something like yeah. that? Because there's a quit uh, Facebook campaign. Right. Yeah. Uh, but the people who who keep talking about what a terrible thing Twitter is, what a terrible place it is, they stay there. They never leave. So I just did the unthinkable, and it was no big deal in my case. I only I had only a few followers. Um, but I just deleted my account. And the reason I did that um, is uh, just to preserve my own sanity. Mm-hmm. There were... Um, and people have different reasons why uh, these, these media drive them crazy. But in my case, um, I found that... I would be scrolling through the Twitter uh, timeline or feed or whatever it's called, and I would see opinions and views and, and, and remarks that I regarded as bottomlessly stupid. And they were, they were authored by some people that I never even heard of. And I, I would be, you know, repulsed by some of these things, outraged, um, and and after a time, just depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, this would happen, especially when something um, something uh, big was happening in the news that everybody was paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the end of it, I thought, why do I need to know what some guy in in um, in Boston or some other guy in Western Michigan, people I've never even heard of, what dumb opinion they're expressing right now? This is for God. <laughs> God can know the hearts of man and all the folly that lies therein, but it's not for me to know. So I just woke up one Saturday morning and deleted it. And you've survived without Twitter. I'm perfectly happy without it. Yes, many things, many things are, are, are to be learned about and, and known, even for somebody like me who right. must follow the news that are not on Twitter. Right. Uh, you mentioned before you came on the air that you uh, are here with your daughter. Yes. Showing her San Francisco, California for the first time. Yes. All right. Is she on social media? She is not. Will um, she be? Uh, well, she's 16, so... Yes. Um, well, she's 18 or 21 and an adult. Can she... The, will, will y- she will oh, you, yeah. Well, yeah. the fact that she's not is not by her choice, I would say. Um, a couple of years ago... Uh, she really wanted an Instagram, right? And I decided, um, and she was very compliant uh, to her to her credit, and uh, in, in not doing that just for the, all the reasons that parents will know all about, right? And um, it was it was tough. I, now I think she may be on a couple of these. She has some accounts by on sites I've never heard of, but they're not. They do not include Instagram, Facebook, or. Snap or Twitter or Snapchat. Yeah. 
Um, she would laugh if I included Facebook in that because she thinks it's for old people. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I, I have to say, though, that uh, two years later, she's glad that she's not on mm. um, because she sees through other people's accounts and so on uh, that a lot of stupidity happens. So I feel pretty good about that one. That a was lot of stupidity and a lot of just meanness meanness um just people i'll write a column and people i've never met before will get on there and just absolutely blister me in very personal ways and it's the anonymity and the cowardice of the the venue that allows it but if we didn't have twitter would more people read books Hmm. probably not you'd have a hole in your day without or they just turn to tv (laughs) yeah they just turn to tv yeah um yeah remember uh in, in when we were growing up the the panic was all about TV. Look how much time kids spend on TV. Yes. And uh, now no one talks about too much time on TV. It's all too much time on... Stop looking at your device. Phones or, right. you know, whatever kind of media. I'm not sure which is worse. Mm-hmm. Um, possibly the latter, but uh, yeah, it'd just be something else. Good stuff. When's your next column? Uh, it should be a, a, a week from Saturday, whenever that is. And the topic will be... I think I'm going to try to tackle the subject of socialism, the newfound popularity of socialism. There are a lot of books out there um, 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 reiterating the socialist worldview and also some reminding us why it uh, died Mm -hmm. um, a a well-deserved death in the first place. Right. Um, does that include AOC? I see that AOC was um, looking for an agent in Los Angeles. I, she went to right? CAA, you know, looking to do a book deal. But I think Congress has some complicated rules when it comes to doing books, making money yeah. off books. Right. So maybe she was a little deterred by that. But would she? is there a market for AOC writing about socialism, or is AOC a social media faction? Well, if I could... I, I don't like to be unkind in ways that many other people have already been unkind. Um, Are you about to say that you just don't think she has a book in her? <laughs> if somebody else writes it, I think it would be fine. Because she's a very marketable personality. Um, and talented in, in her own way. Um, but I, I, uh, I don't think she's prepared to, to, to convey an idea of... Well, of the kind of depth that a book would require. This gets back to my thinking about the biography, because mm-hmm. I would be, I would read a book that she wrote about herself if she explained her path from growing up to going to Boston University to mm-hmm. going to New York City and bartending or whatever else she did to politics, and if she could explain in her own personal way how she came to believe what she believes, I'd be interested in that. I don't want to read her ten-point plan for no. America, right? I'd be interested in reading a book by her if I felt that her goal in writing the book was something other than electoral. The electoral impulse ruins books. Um, it, it just ruins them. It makes them inauthentic uh, and, and uh, uh, sh- shallow and cheap. Um, when a, a person can write a book, a good book, for many different reasons, starvation, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> You know, poverty, uh, or or uh, egotism of one kind or another. There are all kinds of good reasons to write good books, but um, winning office is just not one of them. Not good. Final question: uh, A Barton Swim dinner party with his favorite authors. Who's at the table? Living, dead. No, you can bring it back from the dead if you want okay, to. Okay, okay, okay. Michael Oakeshott would be one. Mm-hmm. Um, I just never. Never tire of of his his prose or his ideas. Um, Malcolm Muggeridge. Hmm, interesting. And I say that as a hardened Protestant. Uh-huh. Um, again, his his uh, his his uh, the, just the the music of his his prose means a lot to me. Um, I'm a I'm a great fan of Yuval Levin. Mm-hmm. Um, never met him, but. Uh, He'd, he'd be invited. Mm-hmm. Uh, should I keep going? <laughs> uh, how about another son of the South, Tom Wolfe? Yeah, well, I don't know. I've, I've never clicked with Tom Wolfe. No? Uh, no. And I, I, I don't dislike his writing, but um, something about it, it's, 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 it's an um, idiosyncratic style, mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't 
it doesn't work somehow for me. Okay. Other others will feel differently. Um, but uh, Flannery O'Connor is is a is okay. a has a special place. With You're me. South Carolina. What about Pat Conroy? You know, I've never read a book. By never Pat read a book Conroy. by Conroy. They're no? too big. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> there, I. There are so many books that are that are two hundred that are 500 pages that should have been 200 pages. So actually, so you would not be the first person to say that Conroy books are much better as movies than they are as books. Right. Yeah. If you want to see Prince of Tides or Santini or something like that. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've never read one, so I don't pretend to know. But, um, yeah, the, the, if I'm going to spend that, I, I read slowly, too. Mm. I'm a slow reader. And so that probably is, is a big part of it. If, if I'm going to spend that much time with an author, I need to know that this is going to be worthwhile because I'm only on this earth for so long. And Exactly. Uh, Barton, I enjoyed the conversation. I hope you enjoyed your time at Hoover this week. I did. I loved it. A lot of people here have written some really interesting books over the Yeah, over the there's years. some brilliant people out here. I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be even talking to them. Great. Well, thank you. I enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to Area 45, a Hoover Institution podcast on the policy avenues available to the 45th President of the United States. If you've been enjoying Area 45, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. And if you wouldn't mind, please spread the word, get your friends to have a listen. The Hoover Institution is online at www.hoover.org. And while you're there, do yourself a favor and sign up for Hoover's Daily Report, which delivers the best work of Hoover's fellows to your inbox every weekday. The Hoover Institution has Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Our Twitter handle is at HooverInst. That's at Hoover, I-N-S-T. Barton Swaim is no longer associated with Twitter. However, he does have a book out, The Speechwriter. You can still find it on Amazon, correct? Yes. Okay, The Speechwriter. So go to Amazon.com and get there. And you can also find his fine writing on the Wall Street Journal's website, www.wsj.com. For the Hoover Institution, this is Bill Whalen. We'll be back soon with another installment of Area 45. Until then, take care. As always, thanks for listening. For more podcasts from the Hoover Institution, please visit hoover.org or Hoover's channels on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Podbean, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I'm Chris Dower for the Hoover Institution. Thanks for listening.